podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the Anfield Wrap, Neil Atkinson hosting. I've got Dan Austin from Liverpool.com. I've got Paul Cope. I've got Paula Murphy and I've got Andy McCann all here to talk about Liverpool against Norwich, to talk about Liverpool's goalkeeper crisis uh, and to talk about uh, the forthcoming Super Cup final. That is all to come. We will start with Liverpool versus Norwich. And Paul Cope, you are back uh, yes. from one of your many sojourns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was away, wasn't even at the ground. And so when I watched the game back, it seemed to me to be a little bit odd. How was how was the vibe around Anfield, first and foremost? And secondly, was the game a little bit odd as I perceived it watching it back over 90 minutes? Yes, is the answer to that question, I think. And the vibe around Anfield was really good, I thought. I got there really... I went with my dad, who I don't usually go with, and we, we were there like an hour before the game, which is just not like me at all. I mean, I, I usually walk in for you'll never walk alone, as if it's for me. Yeah. <laughs> So we had like we we had like a pint before the game and we're on the concourse and all that and it, it was really I thought it was a really good atmosphere. Maybe maybe wasn't as um, boisterous as it might have been considering it was the first game back for the Champions of Europe. But I thought it was nice and it was good and there was a buzz around. And but I, I do think this generally and this is a I, I think this is a Liverpool problem. I, it's, I don't know what it's like for other clubs, but like you you four nil up and. It was it was interesting to see Spurs actually and how they struggled a bit against Villa for a while because I think there's there's always this sort of element of well we should be we should be four 0 up against Norwich and they they were actually good I thought they were really good and it was interesting the fella sitting next to me I don't know we were having a little chat saying they could have scored three yeah Re- realistically like they they've cut through us a few times and it's not really representative of the game where we are at half time. But then there was there was a lad behind me who was putting bets on us winning like eight nil, so it's I think games like that are always a bit strange. I think and I think our our view of football is completely skewed in some respects, and that's only got worse since we're champions of Europe. I think Allison obviously has dominated the headline since because of the injury, but he makes it an unbelievable save. I think it's two nil at the time. After about twenty five minutes, and it, it just kind of went under the radar in the press afterwards. And it's because it, there was a one where it was offside. Ah, got given offside. Up, yeah, but it wasn't. In, it, well, even watching it back, it was marginally offside. Okay, yeah, yeah. And the save was that absolutely sense, yeah. incredible. Yeah. yeah, it was one damn where. Again, I think Liverpool, sometimes you get your goals, in fact, not dissimilar to the Champions League final, strangely, you know, sometimes you get your goals and you either haven't earned them or haven't had time to earn them. And that's one of the things that I think the crowd, you know, it seemed to me, just watching on the television, as I say, by all means disagree with me, the crowd to me seemed a little bit like, yeah, 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 but when are you going to up it? And then 45 to 60, which we'll come on to talk about, the crowd was right into it because Liverpool were absolutely rampant at that point, but they were actually already 4-0 up. It, it was absolutely berserk, I thought, the game. You asked a minute ago if it was a little bit odd. I thought it was one of the maddest games of footy I've seen in ages, and I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> it was a really good way to come back. There were people sort of around me in the cop who, who seemed quite disappointed with the performance, I think, um, whereas the vast majority were, were singing about being champions of Europe and having a lovely time. So I think there was a bit of a dichotomy between people who were just happy to watch Liverpool play, have a bit of rhythm going forward, score some goals, not be perfect, but isn't this brilliant to be back and we're going to storm the league title. Whereas um, I think other people, maybe again, um, the people who've been a little bit more pessimistic over the summer in terms of the pre-season and the transfer window, and that's, you know, understandable, I think, to an extent. There there was quite a bit of negativity, I thought. Um, And it was really, it was really, Glaringly obvious because there wasn't a bit, there wasn't a middle ground. It was either everyone was deliriously happy, <laughs> I me, um, or, or there was there was one man near me who was absolutely furious with 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 um, the balls getting put in behind Trent and stuff. Um, I was I, I was fine with it because I thought that that it's it's what I wanted to see Liverpool do. The the, the, the worry for me around the early games in a season is always. Are they, are they going to take a bit of time to find the form that they were in at the end of the previous season? And it, to me, it felt like they'd never been away, um, which is is the best possible thing. The defending wasn't brilliant. It's obviously a shame that the goalkeeper has, has gone off injured and everything. But missing our best forward last season, we still looked really coherent. It still looked like we had a plan to score goals, even if those first two just sort of happened early on and it wasn't necessarily part of an overriding plan. It felt to me like Liverpool were playing their natural game going forward and considering the summers that certainly Firmino and, and Salah have had, um, I was really happy to see that. And 
overall, I think you can't realistically ask for much more from them. I don't think the fact that Norwich players were absolutely goosed, literally on the deck with cramp 60 minutes in. Having played really well as well, I totally agree. I think I've read a stat this morning that said um, Norwich are the only team to restrict Liverpool to less than 500 passes at home since uh, 1718, aside from Manchester City twice and Tottenham once. That shows you how well they did. Yeah. But also, they were finished after an hour. They couldn't mm. hack it. They couldn't hack Liverpool's intensity. They couldn't hack the press. They couldn't hack the movement going forward. And that's a hugely encouraging yeah. sign because they're not the last team that will come up to, to Anfield and be goosed after an hour. Another another part of why it was a strange game, Paul, that is what Dan's just described there, which is two things happen around the hour mark. One is that Liverpool's big 15 after half-time just dissipates a tiny little bit. The second thing is Norwich are absolutely shattered. But the third thing is, is they get their goal. And it's almost as though their goal sort of, it, they may as well have just blown the final whistle then. Everyone just goes, we're all happy now. And that's something that happens sometimes in football matches. We've talked about it. And maybe over the course of the season, we might end up having chats about goal difference. But right now we can't drive ourselves mad. It was almost as though we could all have packed up and gone home on 70 minutes because everyone's gone. We're all happy now. Yeah, it was weird though, because you were going into the game and sort of take on board what Dan just said is that people were were thinking anything less than 8-0 was an absolute disaster that we had to fin- you know finish Friday with a positive goal difference of you know more than 5 <laughs> and anything beyond that was just we we'd lost the league and that was it but you're absolutely right because the first the first four goals came really frenetically and it, it looked really good and apart from the injury to Al- Allison there was nothing to say that we were looking anything other than great, despite the fact that it was Mo's first 90, despite the fact that Mane was still on the bench at that time. So going into getting to 75, I mean, for, store, for, for, for which I won't discuss now, despite having a ticket, I didn't actually watch it in the ground. I watched it in a pub and you could see everyone in the pub had switched off 75. They were talk- looking at each other, talking to each other. And it was almost as if people had gone, yeah, we're sound now, 4-1, we're all right, this is it. Let's go to Chip, you know. There was sort of that happening. It, definitely, that that's where the game ends up. In that period in the first half, Andy, for instance, I think m- mentioning how well Norwich did, I think there's 10 minutes where Buendia is absolutely terrific, really, really lively, hurting Liverpool a little bit. I think Steeperman grows into that first half period. He's he's quite lively as well. I think that in general, there's you know there's a, two or three of those of those Norwich players. I think actually play play pretty well. And I think last season, I think we we. Touched a tiny little bit lucky getting West Ham first game. I think City have touched a little bit lucky getting West Ham first game this season as well, by the way. Um, you know, it, it, one of those games that might have got harder. I, I'm not saying for a second Norwich are going to go to City and give City a game, but I can well imagine that they're going to be tricky opponents for, for 13, 14 of the Premier League sides this season. Yeah, I think they came up with the scoring the most away goals, didn't they, in, in, in the whole country last year? And they, people were talking about them kind of having a set way of playing which is very free-flowing and he, he's come out and said we're going to stick to that. I think that will adapt though, it has to because I think six or seven teams could give them a bit of a pace than like we did. So that will adapt and hopefully that adapts before they play someone like City where they they kind of balance the you know the, the attacking threat and the, the I thought the right-back, Max Adams, I thought he looked tremendous. He's a great player. Um, thought was the way they overlap and you could see as the game went on, they went, they kind of become a bit more withdrew the two fullbacks. Um, so I think over time they will adapt that to maybe not pushing on as early in games and stuff and getting exposed. But as you say, I think we've got them at a good time because I think they'll cause a lot of teams problems. There's a very fine line in football generally, but especially in the Premier League between bravery and naivety. And I think they straddled both sides mm. of that at different times the other night in the... Um, Early on, they managed to get in behind us a couple of times. It looked like there'd be a threat. And then there were periods of the game where they just needed to keep hold of the ball, probably, and try and restrict space for Liverpool. Or send it long. Exactly. Just just something that would give themselves a little bit of a breathing space. And then they looked like a team who didn't really know how to do that. And that's perfectly understandable because they've spent a year there just beating pretty much everyone that they play and being in charge of the game. So it's something that they will have to get used to. And I think playing them this early on is a huge benefit because... Looking at how they went forward, if they do learn a bit more discipline, if if they get centre halves that are maybe able to track or, or learn rather to track runs a little bit better than what they were doing with Firmino the other night, they will be a much tougher team to face in January, February time at home than what they were the other night. So I'm glad that Liverpool have been able to play them as early on as what they have been because I think they'll do really well over the course of the season. 
Paul, they look to me like they were. A lot of what's been said there is absolutely fair. They, they, they will, they will improve. Thought Cantwell played well as well. All, all of the three really who are behind the front man. I think the front man might be a minor little issue for them, and that he scores goals, but he maybe doesn't hold it up anywhere near as much as they might grow to need as the season wears on. He's very much a, he's a poacher, an old style poacher, I think, rather than someone who's going to be able to to just get get them up the pitch. Because I think, and I want to talk about how good Liverpool were after the break. We'll do that now and then come back to the first half. In that period between 45 and 60, they just could not get out. And it was Liverpool's most impressive period of the game, even though it elicited no goals. Yeah, and but I think in, it's interesting to hear everyone's views about Norwich because I was saying in the game, if I'm Norwich's manager, the second they come off the pitch, especially because they got a goal, which they can sort of cling on to. And I, I agree, everyone's like, let's just go home now. Even the way he celebrated it and their fans celebrated mm. it. Because I think there was a fear there that it's like, well, if we do any more, we're just going to piss these off. And we all know these are playing in second gear and the, and we've got cramp. Like when that lad went down with cramp, I was like, oh, this is a bad sign for you. But if I'm their manager, as they come off the pitch, I say, well done, lads. That's one of your two hardest games of the season out the way. Yeah. And the reality is, I, I still think the Premier League as a whole has got an issue here. Because even just watching the rest of the results coming over the weekend, us and City are still just like years ahead of everybody. So if I'm Norwich's manager, I'm probably saying to those lads, we don't need to change anything. Like we, if we play like this against... We've got Newcastle at home next game. Well, exactly. And it, and if we play against this, almost against everybody other than City and Liverpool, we'll be absolutely fine because we'll win loads of games. And we, yeah, we might lose a few, but we... But, there's no point just changing things for the sake of playing these two. Even Klopp said it about City before we played them in the Community Shield. To practice against, to play against City, you need to play against City. There's, <laughs> yeah. there's no, there's no other preseason game you can have to do that, and it's the same for teams playing us. So when you see that period of, this, and it's, I mean, this is funny going back to the summer and people dancing, people pissed off, and it's weird that going into the game that there are still those people there about a team that got 97 points and won the, literally won the Champions League and it's like well they're not they're not they can't be good enough to do it again this year you know but they are I have to keep reminding people around me like this is a really good football team remember like a really really good football team and when they click into that gear I think we still have to remind ourselves and I'll happily do this all season that it's a privilege to watch a football team like this and you shouldn't be taking it for granted I think one of the things on that, I, I had a bit of a mad day. I got to the game, not late, but I just drove because um, I flew home from holiday the night before, but I had an overnight and it was, you know, when you're, during the day you're sleeping. And you, so I got, I got I went to the game and I think the atmosphere before the game just lifted me. I didn't, not didn't expect it, but it was much better than, and it kind of got me in the mood. And I on the, in the car on the way, I was listening to the, the team news. And one of the concerns over the summer has been the transfer lack of transfers and people have spoke about like Lalana being like a new signing and then this number six role and Brewster and they weren't even on the bench and I was thinking actually we're sound you know we are boss like we've as you said you know aggregated 97 points and won the Champions League we're going to be sound because we're still boss and we haven't even got arguably our best forward starting and you know it's interesting who isn't on the bench just on that. Lalana's not on the bench. Lovren's not on the bench. Uh, you mentioned Brewster's not on the yeah. bench. Um, there's one other who sort of uh, who sort of clanged with me. Um, it was not uh, not not getting in amongst them. There, there are a, there are a number of them who aren't who aren't featuring. Yeah, um, the the th- I, I was thinking about the transfer thing after the game the other night because um, the I I thought that the game sort of told us what the manager's plan is and the injury problems possibly in a few months time aside. He's got it right because Liverpool this season need to win every single game, pretty much. They can drop points in six, seven at most if they want to win the league title. Would we say City dropped in how many six? We dropped think, in, we dropped exactly. in seven and they dropped in six. So so that so that's your limit essentially. If you start getting to eight, you're gonna... sorry, we dropped in eight. City dropped in six, okay. and so seven. Then, yeah. then you're going to finish second and no higher. And the fact that they all played with the rhythm that they did, and, and Paul said it was really nice to, to watch them feel like they clicked right away, I think told me an awful lot because I, w- I was coming away from it last night thinking, I'm really glad there wasn't a lad there that we'd all keeping an eye on and seeing how he does and waiting for him to settle into the system and seeing how he deals with the press and, and maybe he needs a couple of months of, of 
coming off the bench and then he'll start getting games in November. Basically, I didn't want another Kaiser or a Fabinho, someone who needs a bit of looking after. And I think the manager, when he was speaking in the summer about not wanting a big money signing and saying it's not our year for that, I, I, I said at the time that I didn't believe it was a money reason. I thought that that was his choice. And I think it was evident the other night that he just wants this rhythm. He wants it to feel like the season never stopped. He needs Liverpool to feel like they've still got that momentum with them because if you have this opening period where certainly we if we'd have had two, three new players in that side the other night, I'm sure we still would have beat Norwich, but we're going to have harder games than that to come over the next few weeks. If you've got a few that you feel like you need to bed in and you've got to be planning their minutes and you've got to see how they do in training in terms of learning their way to defend and also go forward, especially if it's someone who kind of plays between the lines, which is the forward, the, the type of sort of attack midfielder forward that everyone seemed to want, then that's an extra thing. That's an extra burden to bear. Obviously, that player can go on to be really, really good and I'm not saying it's an innately negative thing, but it takes away an unknown it takes away an uncertainty. We get to be a lot more certain about the football team now because we know exactly what's going to happen. They all know exactly the way in which they're going to play. And the manager gets to just send them out on the pitch. He gets another season, another pre-season with them where he teaches them his methods even further. And I think that for his way of working seems absolutely perfect. And it might all come undone later in the season because all three of them seem to get like a little niggling injury at the same time. And we just stop scoring goals and it doesn't quite work. But for now, that aside... It, it seems pretty ideal to me that we've been able to get back into that rhythm so quickly and I think it's exactly what he would have wanted. I, I also think <clears throat> it's a combination of trust and expectation. He trusts them. He trusts all of them. He trusts them to know what he wants from them and the expectation is that they're all going to deliver and even those that aren't in the starting eleven. He knows what's they know that he expects them to push and push and push to make sure that the people in the top 11 are actually deserving of their place. And I think there's a sort of familiarity and kinship with that squad, exactly what you've just said, Dan, that it, you just don't want an unknown to, to, to sort of take it back a bit of speed. There's no speed change now. We don't have to wait for anyone to bed in. It's all steam ahead. And you can't legislate for injuries. You absolutely can't. But you know, with all the science and all the, the background and all the knowledge that he's got, we've we've just got to trust that he's done it correctly. On that, I think, Paul, most interesting player in the first hour was probably Divock, in that I like him left-hand side. I'm not convinced at number nine, mm-hmm. but I like him left-hand side and that he's not Marnie. He's doing something that's a little bit more direct. I think he just is starting position. He gets involved in a much wider position than Marnie. He doesn't try and come and join in the same way, but he is effective and he is involved. You know, he, he ends up there having with the setting, putting the ball in for the own goal and, and attacking the middle of the box for the header. He's very, very, very involved whilst Liverpool are on top in that game. Yeah, I'm made up. I'm made up again to talk about Divock. I, he baffles me. Like fundamentally, I still think Divock Origi is crap. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where I am with it. But he might be the best crap player I've ever seen in my life. I, I was this was my argument about signing players. We always you want to sign players who you've pretty much everyone has only seen snippets of. And I was saying to the lads over the summer and then before the game and after the game. Imagine if in a world where there's a Divock Origi playing for another side and we could have bought him as our fourth choice striker. This is a lad who scored goals in. Champions League semi-finals and finals. He's final. He's scored winning goals in huge games, like iconic goals in title run-ins, in high-pressure situations. He's so effective. If you're watching him from outside of Liverpool, you'd be, you'd be like, who is this lad? He's absolutely massive. Like I was, I usually sit high up and I was sitting really low down, right right behind the dugout for, for this game. And I love doing that sometimes because you get to see a whole different perspective I didn't realise how big he is. He's absolutely massive. And when you look at him playing down the left-hand side, I'm with you. I, I, don't, I just don't think... I don't, in fairness, I don't think anyone can replace Firmino in what he does. That's why you see Wijnaldum play there, because it's more akin to a, a centre midfielder playing up front than it is a centre forward. But he is... Origi is so effective in what he does. I, I, I was watching him thinking, imagine playing against him. No. Oh. As a, as a right back, because you're like, he's he's huge. So he's going to be bigger than pr- basically every right back he plays He's against. faster than you. He's faster than you. And I think the thing he's probably got in common with Mane, it was funny watching, um, did you see the video with Pep Linders and Klopp where they were watching back the videos? Mm, yeah, yeah. And they, they showed the clip of Mane where he like rolls onto the Champions League thing before the game. And even 
Linda's and Klopp are like, he's insane. But <laughs> but Linda's made the comment of like, you never know what he's going to do. But it's a bit like we've we've mentioned this in the mm. past. When a player doesn't know what he's going to do, you've got no chance. And I think it's a bit like that with Origi. Like when you when he squares you up, well, anything can happen now. And I think you saw that with the Hanley own goal. He just drills a ball into the box with his left foot, just drills it in. People don't generally do that from out there. So, I mean, yeah. And he's yep. sort of dragging their shape away as, as well because he's pushing so hard down that wing that you can see people. I could, I saw saw two of their players. I, I didn't catch the shirt. They were looking behind him themselves and they were thinking, we, we better track here. We better cover this guy. And he, he pulled three of them away and you could see it just left a massive hole in their shape. Yeah, it's, that, that, that's what I think. I'll go over to Andy first, but bring everyone back in. I think that's one of the things that he does when he plays on the left is that because I think he's not used to playing on the left, he does so with a remarkable amount of discipline. And yeah. he's not he's not flitting around. And mm. it's, it's a different way of occupying people. But all of a sudden, as Paula says, the Norwich, Max Aronson's teammates are aware of the fact that Max Aronson's got a bit of a problem. Yeah. And all of a sudden then, you, you've managed to disrupt their shape without him having actually had to do a great deal. It's not like he's constantly involved or anything like that. But they're suddenly going, well, if he gets him one-on-one, they could be, we, we could be in a bit of bother. Yeah, I think, I think one of the things with him is we might have a sweet spot with him for six months playing on this left-hand side because he grew up as a nine and in his head he's mastered that. He's got to move to Liverpool. He's, you know, he's he's a professional footballer, plays for Belgium. So what comes with that comes a confidence and an arrogance to the position and you're getting told you need to operate in this channel or when the ball's there. And part of him's thinking, nah, I don't really, I've played number nine since I was six. I've boxed that. Whereas getting play, told to play there, he's kind of thinking, actually, I don't 100% know what I'm doing here. So if, if this manager is telling me I need to do that, he plays a little bit kind of, you know, thinking, where, does, where do we need to be? It's, it's less natural to him. And I watched the game back on Saturday. Lost, lost me. Yes, yeah, Sunday today. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, Gary Neville makes a brilliant point before the game um, about him. And Gary Neville says, you will never get a striker on the level of the three that they have to come and be fourth choice. He says he is almost the best you will get and the perfect one to play in any of the three positions. I don't necessarily agree with playing any of the three, but he said he's almost the best you can have that will come and be fourth choice because he seems fairly... He must be comfortable with it. He knows what's ahead of him. He's just signed a new contract. He's almost perfect to be your next one in when one of them's out. I think it was hugely important for him to be able to prove to all of us, but also himself, that the last season isn't just a, a bit of fluke momentum. It's not just a child rolling down a hill and picking up speeds as it goes. Um, it's been sustained now already. He's 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 almost scored three goals there the other night. So the first one goes down as an own goal. And there's the mad one at the back post, which Firmino just takes off his toes that he's about to put in the net anyway. So to have that level of influence on what is actually in the grand scheme of things, despite the fact it's the opening day, a mundane game, because that's the one thing that he wasn't really doing last season. He was doing it in the huge matches, like Paul said before. But what what's he going to do in just you know a regular home match against a team that we should beat? We didn't really know that because he wasn't playing in those games. Um, so the fact that he's been able to to have such a strong influence on the game of football, both in terms of putting the ball in the net and creating other ones, but also just constantly being involved and looking like he belonged, both in terms of quality but also dovetailing with the other two alongside him was was a massive massive plus because I think that that's something now that no one no one's worried about the manager weren't worried about it anyway but I think everyone now is on the page where they think that he can have a really really consistent and solid contribution over the course of the entire season yeah I I actually think one of his biggest problems when I take a step back from it and I'm fair to him is that Sad, you've both mentioned this already. Sadio Mane, I think, is probably one of the most un- underrated players in the world. Mm-hmm. He is an incredible footballer. The, the stuff he can do from that position is next level. We saw it even in even in the Champions League final. Like when you yeah. talk about hold up play, yeah, like, Sadio Mane is one of the best hold up play players in the in the world, and he's a winger effectively. He scores goals. He's joint top scorer in the league with no penalties. His all round contribution to the defensive shape. To how he how he interacts with with the build up play is phenomenal. So no matter who you have there, there's going to be a drop off, and mm. it's it's almost unfair that. And I think that's probably in my mind that's where the, this comparison comes from that Origi can't isn't that good because you're comparing him to an absolute superstar in that position, but from an effectiveness point of view, un- unbelievable. It's been a long time since I've seen a player hide in plain sight like him. 
literally it's on show every week but it just seems to fly under the radar and for it to be this summer before you hear the whisper of a transfer to somewhere away from here and obviously it fell away it was nothing but you think how how are we talking how are we not talking about him more in the public sphere because everyone can see this he's golden golden tied golden boot and yeah, it's 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 a phenomenon to watch him. I think. I think on Marnie, sorry, one of the funny things in a, in a light-hearted way, but it says a lot of what Paul just mentioned. Have you seen the video of him coming back into Melwood? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. obviously Andy Robinson sees him through through a glass, and he he opens the door and he shouts to him. And the first thing he says to Robbo is, "You were crap yesterday without me doing you running for you." Yeah. And it's just dead interesting because yeah. it's something that we just take for granted, but it's. He obviously wasn't crap, but he Mane's aware of kind of what he does as well as the, well, the the explosive stuff. I think what why I think it's important, Paul, that Divock has managed to put himself in this position on the left, and if he can make it his own in inverted commas, even though we know he'll be second choice behind Mane, is it answers the question as to what happens everywhere else. So if Salah's not available, who plays right hand side? Mane. Mm-hmm. If Firmino's not available, who plays through the middle? Mane. And if you end up in a situation where, for instance, you, and Brewster will end up being part of that conversation, I'd say. Or you end up with the other thing, which is that obviously if you can't play Mane, you'll feel as though you can play Divock. And I think that that's, I think that's why it's really, really important what Dan said before, that he backs, he's backed himself up. He's backed himself up after the final, scored the first game at Anfield. It'd be nice if in the next three, he gets another goal, Origi, from somewhere, even if it's off the bench, if he hasn't started. You know, before we get to the next international break, if he nets again, he can feel like he's absolutely fully part of all of this. Yeah, I think it's a great point and a great point by Dan because because the, there was that possibility, wasn't there? That even in the summer, there was the. I was thinking, let I me. Mean, you, you should go now because mm. this is the best he will ever be. This is the best his career will ever be. And it'll be like when you see interviews with Crouch and he looks back at that that spell as playing for Liverpool of oh, it was great, but he ends up like Mignolet now going to Bruges or somewhere. So I th- yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's really important, and I think pre-season for him actually, even though pre-season was a bit crap, generally speaking, it felt like. For him, it was just like he was going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just that goal he scored against was it Tramia, where Mata pings the ball over the top and he just takes yeah. it down with a sublime touch and just scores as if it's the most natural thing in the world to him. So I, I think there's been a continuation through the summer for him. And when Klopp talks about him at the end of last season that he he made the decision on behalf of the coaching staff basically by his performances in in uh, training. I think it's it's. In, I love all this side of it. Obviously, if, you, if you've ever heard me talk about this stuff, the psychology of it, you can see that something's just clicked back in in Divokarigi where he's gone. I am boss. Remember, there was a dead interesting uh, interview with Klopp where he was. It might have been the same one with Linders where he was talking about how he went to all of them before the Barcelona game and said, "What was the best game you've ever played?" Did you see that? Mm-hmm. Asked them to all remember the best game they've ever played. And Divok, he said he mentioned Divok because his was like, "Well, that's easy. It was Dortmund." Like, I've got that in my head. And he went, right, you all need to do that. And it's as if Divock's gone, oh, yeah, remember. <laughs> remember when I was brilliant and I, and I was playing up front for Belgium and I was keeping Lukaku out the side. That's how we, I think a lot of us have forgotten that. There was he a spell scored in where, a World Cup knockout round when he was 19. Yeah. And it, there was a spell for us where he scored like eight games on the run, mm. wasn't it? it was, and he was flying. And it's as if his brain has just clicked back into that. And talking about as well, keeping him happy. I think it really helps that you've got one of the best players in the world playing on the other wing who doesn't have to play up front and he can do every, he can achieve everything he wants to achieve from that position and the same with Mane. So I think Origi, you can, it's easy to say to Origi, well, you don't need to play down the middle, mate. For us, you can do it. You can do everything you need to do from here, not even playing every week. Playing down the middle is Firmino. I think in the 15 minutes after halftime, um, you see Firmino, Henderson, Fabinho, the three of them through the middle of the pitch, Andy, absolutely the best in terms of the movement with and without the ball, their anticipation. I think Liverpool will probably tweak something at half-time. We talked a lot last season about how good Liverpool are at half-time. And for that 15 minutes, Norwich just could not cope. Yeah, I, I, in the game, my focus more, I think I tweeted it, and it wasn't like a hipster, you know, everyone else was raving about other players. It wasn't a hipster, but for me, for me, knowing Henderson, first half, especially with the two outstanding players, me less so, I noticed Fabinho, but I think it was more but upon reflection, I've had a look. And didn't he make 11 tackles and nine ball recoveries or something? In it? As in Dan says, a mundane home win. But that's how you crush out these four, five, one, just, you know, the minnows come and you just, you have you have all your attacking options around them. You have your two, the best two fullbacks in the country 
best centre half, but then you've got a fella playing number six who's one of the best in the world, and it must just be like, oh, I can't be doing with this. And then you've got Henderson making runs. Just on for me, you know, though I thought he was unreal. Obviously, I know a f- few people connected here that questioned his fitness, hadn't they, at the charity shield? No, not the, it was the not one in before. the room. It was the. Was it? it was yeah. It was. I mean, he looked like he, he looked like he'd had some summer uh, yeah. in Geneva, but he's got all that out of his system now. He just looked. I, I think. I think it's a little bit like Paul said. In the ground, the the way he takes balls is, and it, it's just dead. I've never seen. I don't think I've, I've you know seen anyone do it with such an effectiveness and such a, an awareness of what's around him. And the amount of times he's the ball before the ball is unreal. The other thing about him, Andy, when he wins it, is the way he wins it is he wins it and Liverpool are on the front yeah. foot. So he doesn't just, it's not just a big tackle and it's gone for a throw or something like that. Or now there's two players on the deck and the ball could be anywhere. He manages to me, he, he he doesn't just win the ball, he comes away with the ball. And I think that's that's the absolute essence of modern tackling. Yeah, or he's he's aware of where a free man is. He does it to Trent a lot. Trent picks up a lot of second balls from him when he, he nicks it off someone. It might be a slide in from the side, but he, as you say, he's got a, a, an ability to flick it in the direction of Trent, but not, not to Trent's feet where he's stuck with it and has to go back, like where Trent can move forward with it. He, he's just... You know, I think what Paul said, he's, he's almost irreplaceable to carry on playing the way you want to play. You, you would have to adapt around him if he's not in the team. He was a step above everyone else on the pitch. I thought the other night we had loads that played really well, as we were saying before. Norwich had plenty of, of good performers as well, but he he was the one that, that, that stood out. Fabinho. Firmino, I'm talking about Firmino, yeah. More than anyone else. Um, and I think what's underrated about him... Um, and and has been evident in the, in the city game and this one is his sheer athleticism. Um, and it's understandable because if you look at Salah and Mane, either side of them, they are much quicker and physically they probably look a bit stronger and a bit fitter. But in both games, he's trapped balls out of the sky by stretching his leg to a height that looks biologically impossible, to be honest. Um, controlled it, taking another touch and hit a brilliant shot at the goalkeeper that, that they've done really well to save Bravo in, in the charity shield and then um, Tim Krull the other night. And they would have been two of the best goals I've ever seen in my entire life if they'd have gone in. And I, th- I think we sometimes forget that because we always talk about his movement being brilliant and it was and he was dragging defenders out of position the other night so that centre-backs are split into Lark and then run into the area and Origi can as well so he is a really intelligent footballer and it's right that we praise him for that but also as an athlete he's, he's almost superhuman the things that he does he never tires and and the, the nimbleness of him the dynamism of, of, of the stuff that he's able to do is absolutely fantastic there isn't a, a, a striker if you want to call him a striker like him in world football and, and, and whenever he either moves on or, or just stops playing for Liverpool and whatever regard we we are going to have to change an awful lot about the way in which we play because there just isn't somebody who will play that role on anything like the same level and it's not even it's not even a case of i think trying to find someone who's maybe 19 now who could do it in three or four years time because i've never seen someone do it in the way that he does it before so so people talk about him as a false nine but he's not he's not a proper false nine he's not a vicente del bosque false nine when fabregas was doing it at euro 2012 he's not that player that just links things up because he does loads of other things on top of it as well and he's not nine or ten out of ten at any of them but he's seven or eight at literally every single thing that he does on a footy pitch the amount of tackles he makes stupid and it's the same with Mane as well so it's 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 an absolute pleasure to watch him play. He was brilliant the other night, and, and again, considering the fact that he's gone and had that long summer with Brazil, played a star and role in it as well. It wasn't like he was on the bench and not playing much footy. He's playing every game there and being a big, big member of that squad. For him to come back and, and just feel like he's carrying on where he left off is massive. It, I thought, uh, go back to that game, it was amazing how well Tim Krull played and mm. got four past him. Mm. I mean, Tim Krull had a really good game and that shot he stopped was unbelievable. But it, it, it is, it, uh, you're watching our team now and I'm, I'm, we, we know them really well or we think we know them really well. But I still watch some of the things that our players do and I'm like, what? Where did that come from? And obviously it's clearly happening behind the scenes, but we're still seeing athleticism, dynamism that belie the body shapes that these people live inside. They shouldn't, you know, move in the way that they're moving. They shouldn't sprint and stop in the way that they're doing without causing themselves an injury, but they are. And it's all contributing to to a, a fantastic win that could have easily been six. Yeah, there's, I mean, on the on the whole, the the whole overall arching points about the summer and stuff. Going back to what Dan was saying before, that I think everybody still underestimates, and it's partly because of the sort of sexiness with transfers and buying players and how exciting that is. And 
all the unveiling and everything. But when you listen to Klopp talk and you see other high-profile managers, just keeping a group of players together for a long time is way more powerful than anything else because this is the evolution you get to see then. And some of the... Considering his first game of the season, it was interesting and Guardiola say the same thing. They've gone and, and blown away West Ham looking at it on paper, but he said, yeah, there, was, there were issues with it. We've It's first game of the season. It takes a while to get into rhythm. I think we all sort of underestimate that that that's it's not it's not usual that you just start the season and fire and you're fine so you're going to get some some time where they need to click back in and that's why it looks so impressive to me because we're already playing some football like the one the one that Firmino took off a rig at the back post both sides of that move like the one that led to Henderson having the shot that Cruel saves yeah. And then when it comes back out and it goes to Salah, like that, the back heel from Salah, there's so many things happening in that game that have barely been mentioned because there are so many things that happened. The back heel from Salah to Trent is is phenomenal football. The one that Dan mentioned with Firmino, it's, he's, he's added to my list now of, I love, I've already got two. I've got a Torres one against Real Madrid where he, just, he does like a, a, a running Cruyff turn and then Casillas saves it and it would have been the greatest goal I'd ever seen. And then there's a Suarez one where he crashed one against the bar. Oh, the Arsenal the one. The Arsenal God. one. Oh, yeah. oh. It's like the greatest goal. <clears throat> Best goal ever. But yeah. it was. And So here's in Torres's, and Firmino's one the other day now is, is on that list for me. Like mm. when you watch it back, it's drilled into him. Like Trent drills it to him. And it's one of them where if it's another player, it would bounce off him and we'd all be going to Trent. What do you expect him to do with that? <laughs> because it's Firmino. He yeah. just takes it down and in the same movement, it's, a, it's this volley. And I'm like, that's, that's another one. Best goal I've ever seen. Didn't go in. It's, I think those ones, I think it's a bit of our ass when, when the goalie <laughs> saves it. Like, just let that one in. It, it makes no difference to you. Whether Mark Richard Sutherland when he hit the bar. Oh, that, that wow. One, yeah, that's on the list. All, all the big hits. Yeah. <laughs> Far better than actual goals, these. Well, <laughs> Especially when they hit a post or a bar. Yeah. Well the only other thing with Firmino that... It hasn't been mentioned that it might be because it's nonsense and I might be making a terrible point here, but psychologically, if anyone suffered from something that went on in the transfer window, as well as Coutinho, it's possibly him. Because if he's, if Coutinho's meant to be coming back and holding out for this transfer, he's his best mate. And he may have been thinking for two or three weeks coming at the, to the start of the season, my mate's coming back and... And if he's, I don't know what the, the dynamics like, but and I'm sure it's fine. But if he's possibly thinking, well, if he might want to come back, it, there's a deal on the table that's fairly straightforward. But these just don't want to. It could have come in. I don't think it would, but he's clearly just blew that away because he's coming out of man of the match performance in his opening game. Looked like he hasn't got a care in the world, so he's just getting on with it, isn't he? I think he's he's so important, Dan, and I think that maybe. Well, the psychological point was well, he was less important by the back end of last season and there's a couple of reasons why one was his own fitness began to tail off a little bit knackered, yeah. Yeah. and I wonder whether or not this summer you know he's gone he's gone away he's won the Copper America and mm. he's been integral into that so he's now ended up with two massive pieces of silverware but this is a season you know he scored fewer goals last season than he did the year before I, I to me I think he, he seems quite a you know if I say, he's, you know, he seems very much like someone who's able to be quite carefree, but I do think that this is a could be a big season for him personally. That he he'll want to see himself back in back doing numbers, back being brilliant for Liverpool. I agree with that. We were writing a piece for our website the other day, um, just like Premier League predictions, and and, and one of them was um, who'll be top goal scorer. Um, and Dan Morgan said Roberto Firmino in the entire Premier League, not just for Liverpool. He thought Firmino would win the Golden Boot. And when he first said that, I was like, "What?" But like, his whole game is based around sort of letting the other two score goals that if he was a proper forward, he himself would score, which I think is still a valid point. But Dan made a lot of points around what you're saying about him and his personality and the. As a footballer, like we, we all value the Premier League at this stage, certainly now that we've won the European, the European Cup anyway, as as the pinnacle, as more than anything, we want it more than anything else in our lives. But for him there, he's just won the biggest trophy in club football and World Cup aside, the biggest thing that he can possibly ever do in international football, he's yeah. just boxed off as well. Because it's not just the Copa America, it's the Copa America in his home country as well. That's absolutely massive. So I think... If you're coming back off that summer, and he seems to certainly enjoy the rest of the summer as well, just like pissed up on Instagram every single day, really, really liked watching all of them. Um, then I, I think there's very little pressure on your shoulders. Obviously, there's the pressure of having to win every game if you're going to win the Premier League, pretty much. But I don't think you have to worry about it to the same extent because you've made your place in history for your football club that you absolutely absolutely love playing for, and also your nation as well. So I think he can come back and and 
be relaxed than what he would have already have been. And I think he seems like the kind of person as well as footballer who leaves it on the pitch. Certainly from from his use of social media, and I know you can't infer everything from that, but he seems to just like get on with the various mad aspects of his life. Aside from football, yeah. he's not one of those that <laughs> yeah. seems to go on and and you know you quite often see like Ginny Wijnaldum like talking back to the club on Twitter and stuff, and he's like posting photos regularly and he talks about the match. He seems one that's that's totally invested in the football all the time, and that's great as well because it shows that it dominates his life and it's the most important thing to him. But Firmino to me seems like if one it, of them yeah. who plays mm. footy, and I don't reckon he watches any other footy. I don't reckon he's I don't reckon he's sat in is watching the four o'clock kickoff today he's got no interest in it whatsoever yeah. because he's doing other things with his life and I think that really suits him and the way he plays it seems like what Klopp, from what Klopp says you know Klopp said last season that uh, you know that I've been training Mane world class most days Salah world class most days mm. Firmino world class every day you get the impression with him mm. that when he's in and he's playing when he's doing his work mm. he's absolutely focused on it and, exactly. he, and then when he isn't you get the it just switches off like literally like he's just able to he's one of those people because you know god knows I'm, I'm jealous of them who's able to go for him who's able to go for him i'm in work now i'm now not but in work that's what i was going to say yeah. that's like any workplace and yeah. you sometimes forget that, that this is a form of work like obviously it's an incredibly privileged one and we'd all yeah. love to do it but it is a workplace technically and i, I saw him um, watching football focus yesterday and there was a little interview with troy deeney um and they were just doing like sort of um Quick fire questions too when he was answering them. And one of the questions was, What's the what's the weirdest thing a teammate's ever done in your house? And he went, I've never had a teammate in my house. <laughs> and the interviewer was like, What? He went, I've never had a teammate in my house. That's work. They're my workmates. Yeah. Like I love them yeah. and everything. And we accomplish a lot together, but they're my workmates. I don't bring them home. That's that's different. That's my life. I thought it was really interesting yeah. because then you, it really sort of emphasizes how these are people in a really warped reality but a reality all the same that you have to manage in that way and I think that it's really interesting that the three of them seem to have slightly different attitudes on it in the salad in, in various different ways and, and you know maybe some of the more negative stuff might be driven by the agents I think but is is sort of quite involved in the politics of football in a significant way and certainly stuff to do with with the Arab world, the Middle East, and Egypt especially. Um, Mane does an awful lot back in his home country as well, but seems a, a little bit more detached from everything in that way. And Firmino is then totally detached from yeah. football entirely, apart from when he himself is kicking a football. And it's really interesting that we treat them as the front three, the trio. We literally, it rolls off the tongue, Mane, Salah, Firmino. But they're innately different people as well as different footballers, and we forget that sometimes. And it's, it's, it's probably extremely helpful to their success that they are all so different. But going back to thinking of it as an employment, I think if we're going to just use that analogy for a moment, I don't think Salah and Mane would give a toss if they got employee of the month. But uh, but but Firmino would be gagging for it month on month. He'd have to be loved. He'd want everyone in the company to love him. He'd have to be the best salesman. And there's the most brilliant five second piece of video, and I must have seen it 50 times. And it's from the PSG game. And whoever the cameraman was, was brilliant because he goes onto Firmino's face and the, the crowd's singing, si senor. He's got his hands on his hips and his head's cocked back and he's smiling to the sky and it goes behind him to Neymar and Neymar's got a big cob on. <laughs> and it's almost like, yeah, this is this is it. They love me. This is why I'm here. Brilliant. Can we keep talking about this? I'm interested in like who'd make the best round of brews in the office. Genie. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, Defo and would care. Uh, steeps them for a perfect length of time. Um, yeah, I think I think all this is important, but I think this is also on the character point. This is actually my biggest concern with the goalkeeper injury. In that, you know, I think that firstly he's been around, he's used to what we do, but I think also the brilliant thing about Allison is whilst he wins headers against Bournemouth centre forwards and he dinks it over uh, Brighton players' heads, the best thing he's done is provide an air of absolute calm, Paul. And my only real concern in the Adrian sort of thing is that that air of absolute calm understandably goes yeah. not not for the supporters but for the you know to an extent for the supporters but also for that back four because they've gone from the fellow who they all think is the, probably they probably all think he's the best goalkeeper in the world and now they have got a bit of an unknown quantity it will also take a bit of time to pick up a lot of what we do he's only been here a week yeah it, it's it's a fascinating one when you asked before about what was what was the ground like when when he went down and because it's one of these as well where 
I hate these injuries. When someone gets injured and there's no one anywhere near them, it's usually really, really bad. And in the ground, basically the game's going on and then all of a sudden you turn around and Alisson's just sitting on the floor in the box, like waving at everyone saying you need to kick it out. And you could feel like the fear around the ground was palpable. It was a bit, it happened last season with Van Dijk. Van Dijk took a knock and the, the whole ground goes like yeah. silent. It's like, no, please, no. I but think... the only, I was out with Ben Jono and Adam afterwards and I said the only good thing about it all was that Mignolet has already left. Because I think, I think if Mignolet was coming on at that point, it's almost anybody, it could have been Andy Lonergan coming on and everyone would have been like, well, no, no matter who comes on now, they're not the best goalkeeper in the world and this lad is the best goalkeeper. So unless we get Edison or De Gea in, which we're not going to, there's going to be a drop-off. But at least it's not Mignolet. Because I genuinely think if it was Mignolet, and they both said, they both agreed with him and made this point, Ben John Adam would, Ben John and Adam would have left the ground. Like, that would have been them done. Like, no chance. And I I think there's almost a little bit of that in, in what Klopp was saying. It was He was almost saying about Adrian when he's talking about him. Yeah, but he's like he's, he's good with his feet. And that's almost more important to us than anything else because the rest of them are sound, you know, and he's a good shot stopper. We know that about him already. We've seen that in the past. And you can get that with loads of players. But with, if it was Mignolet coming in, you would have that complete, like, not just uncertainty. The problem with, with where we, everyone had got to with Mignolet was it wasn't uncertainty. It was absolutely, it's a bit like Lovren. It was exactly. absolute certainty that he will, yeah. like the, the pre-season even, that this will happen yeah. at some point. And just having that certainty in your head, unbalances everything whereas with Adrian at least it's just unknown I think there's a there's a debate now isn't there what, what he does is does he quickly try and adapt him to us or does he slightly adapt us to, to minimise him as an outf- as an outfield player if that makes sense and I think I imagine he will probably adapt him to us and we might have to roll with that and we may concede three or four goals more over the six to eight week period than we would have done with Alisson I think what you said was the the palpable like, oh shit, what's going to happen now? I think he's second only to Van Dijk for that happening. Mm-hmm. I think after him and Van Dijk, anyone else in the team, you kind of go, yeah, you know, you could argue Salah, but you could kind of go, yeah, we can fit him in. I think there was a genuine panic when he went down, mm-hmm. and you know, I think is it six to eight weeks is the is the yep, six the, to eight the weeks. diagnosis yeah, which is 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 bad I think, and we just need to try and get through it. I think Adrian is an absolute flip cat. You know, I think he's berserk. <laughs> um, he did a few mad things the other night just in terms of like shouts and little movements that he was making around goal kicks and stuff. I was watching him. But also I, I put together like a little gallery of photos from his career the other day for our site when he signed. And I was just typing in like on Getty images like West Ham, Liverpool, Adrian, looking for ones of him playing against Liverpool. And every photo that I found of him was him kicking off on someone. There's one of them sat on top of Mario Balotelli screaming in his face. There's one of them slide tackling Fabio Berini and giving away a penalty. <laughs> and there's one of them looking like he's about to punch John Flanagan in the face. It's absolutely mad the array of things that are like are to do with him already. See, I am into this. No, I'm totally here for it. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. I think you've got two options as a goalkeeper. You've either got to be like Edwin van der Sar, absolutely the calmest, coolest person there's ever been. Or a lunatic. If you're gonna play in goal for yeah. Liverpool or Man United, they're your options. Yeah. Yeah. You've either got to be the coolest person in the world or an absolute lunatic. And I'm not interested in any middle ground. That's why Minule, that's why Minule got it so badly wrong because he's right in the middle, middle of that, isn't he? Yeah. He's a nice yeah. lad who looks like you could batter him. But <laughs> the, thing, the thing with you saw with the Arsenal players the other week with Ertel um, and Kalasanach. Yeah, I'll yeah. just say his name. Kalasinac, yeah. and, and he's just like that lad. That's, yeah. That'd be Adrian, wouldn't it? Just get off the car and like, yeah. what? <laughs> no chance, lads. Give me your car. You're now on minus one card. <laughs> but the first thing he did, which I thought was brilliant, was was ping that kill pass to Robertson at left back. Yeah, and I think that really season, settled everyone down because everyone would have seen him play for West Ham before but not have been paying any attention to him because they're just watching him pick the ball off the back of the net usually when he's playing against Liverpool or certainly even if he's playing well, you're just noticing his saves or whatever. The fact that he did that, I think, settles everyone's nerves, and not just us in the ground, but everyone on the pitch. Because, as you say, he won't have even trained very much with them, and they won't have been watching him play for West Ham. So they'll be wondering, wonder if he, wonder if he can kick the footy in, like, like, because, yeah. because usually I've got a fellow who either really can kick the footy or one who really can't yeah. that I'm passing it to in training. Um, so the fact that that he seems competent on the ball, I think, will reassure everyone, and it means they don't have to play on top of the goal line like they do when Menule is there. Um, Joel has has, has put through a really interesting thing on our site today he's looked into the stats behind it and it was it was interesting to see that um 
there's a, there's a concept of expected goals against. So there's expected goals that you can score, and there's also expected yeah. goals against. Last season, Liverpool were expected to see, concede 29 goals in the Premier League, but actually conceded 22. That can be down to the defence, but uh, predominantly to the goalkeeper. So that means that Alisson is saving us seven goals a season on average already. Um, Simon Mignolet in his last full season, um, where he was playing relatively first choice for Liverpool, conceded 10 more than what we should have. So that's a massive difference. We've got a 17-goal swing from that. Adrian, in his last full season of playing first team for West Ham, they would expect to concede 59, but only conceded 52. So on average, saved them seven goals a season. Um, obviously, you have to get used to the style of play. That's two or three years back now, so so and that, the, the, he could the, the have dropped off by then. The but exactly. it still shows. But it still shows that he's a goalkeeper that makes his football team better. And if you can have that, if you can have him saving things that he probably shouldn't be saving and also competent on the footy, I think that in the grand scheme of things, we're going to be all right. It's, it's obviously a, a blow not to have Alisson, but... Scored a penalty against Everton. Yeah. Also absolutely massive. I think it's absolutely brilliant that our backup goalkeeper, his biggest achievement in his football history is slot on the winning pen against Everton and England and England he scored a pen against England he was the keeper who scored the pen for Portugal in the Euros was that him I thought Spanish Oh, right, that's Ricardo. That's Ricardo. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> it was fifteen years ago. Sorry, I thought he was a young man. Thought he was a young man. Just give it to him. Just let him have it. But yeah. the thing that they have got, <laughs> this, yeah. the thing that they have got in common was taking the gloves off. Yeah, the other 2004. That's what the other 2004 Ricardo saved at Ayers for Sales penalty with just his bare hands. The penalty against Everton, as he's walking up, he takes, Adrian has got the gloves on and he throws them off in the run up and just <laughs> smacks it down the middle. Absolutely brilliant. Um, we'll, we'll take we'll take the flip cat and I am giving him that penalty now. He's got it. <laughs> I want Sean to clip this bit and put it out and we'll just have it as fact. Uh, Paula, he is the app. You know, that's what you need, I think. I think there will be nerves around him. I think there's a few bits and pieces where. You, where it will be hard for him. I think he maybe could have dealt with a couple of things a little bit better over the course of that 90 minutes. But it is worth pointing out, he's actually not had a club. So it's, you can have the chat. He's not had a pre-season because he's not had a club. Yeah. Uh, he's not been playing in any games. It might take him a little bit of time on that front as well. We could probably do with it. I think it's important to the Super Cup on Wednesday because he gets one out of his system there. I think uh, the best thing about him is that we don't know that much, I think, because we can't then steam in with... It's exactly what Paul said. It's not Mignolet and it's not... Uh, Carius and I think for all of us at the moment that's a benefit and the fact that we can go and dig stuff up and we can find out that he, the first thing I found out about him was that didn't he I, I can't remember what bit of footage I saw but he, he just took the ball took it right the way down what was that? I think it was Mark Noble's was it? testimony was it? Was it? Yeah. yeah it was, yeah, it was, it was a game. and he just like running dribbled like everyone and then scored so yeah I, I, I don't think they'd have bought him on a whim I don't think they'd have bought him if they didn't think they could do something. Although I do, I do worry about Akterberg, but I'm sure with the back four, they're going to look after him and make changes they need to. It's interesting. It's interesting. I'm, I'm again the secret life of football. It, to me, it's fascinating that firstly he doesn't. Minulay's gone. Minulay's on the bench at the Charity Shield, and he knows he's gone because he basically goes and boards a flight. Hmm. So there's the Minulay question in this, but also, so how long's Minulay being sorted with the view that he's gone? Adrian's been knocking around on a free all summer, but we bring Andy Lonergan in, but we seem, you know, as soon as Minulay goes, it's like it's like all the Adrian, it's like we've got the paperwork ready. Hmm. <laughs> I'm quite, you know, genuinely like I can't quite, I can't quite get the time frames right in my head because it's not like he was linked anywhere else. I spent all the summer because I like him. By the way, I think he's a good keeper hmm. and I think he's done well at West Ham. He, he, he ousts Joe Hart. It's worth remembering, you know, when the, the season that they bring Joe Hart and Adrian finishes yeah. that season good in point. goal. So I think that it feels to me like he's been earmarked by Liverpool, and yet all the things have only really happened at the very, very end. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think I think the whole Minnelli thing, as much as I'm joking about like everyone having a certain view of him, I, I still think it's a bit harsh on Minnelli. Like for him, when I saw where he was going, I was surprised because no one, very few teams have a very good goalkeeper, and I think Minnelli is one of those where he's sort of been scarred by playing for Liverpool because you, your mistakes get get highlighted where it doesn't necessarily at other clubs, other uh, other than the likes of United and maybe City now. Um, so I'm surprised. He, I'm surprised that where he went. I thought he'd go to a, to a better club than that. But I, I know what you mean about Adrian. It, it's a really. I think there's a there's a fascinating film to me probably about when you say the secret way the world of football, like the lost world of footballers. Like how many footballers are out there that just don't have a club? Michelle like, Vaughan. That, that which is nuts, isn't it? Like, the, and I I genuinely think there are just clubs out there who they, they just miss them. 
Like, it's like, how, how have you got a goalie that's not as good as Michelle Vorm? How did Adrian not have a club over the summer to be training with? I but can't, it, yes, I can't help thinking he's, he's, it's been boxed off and it, it's been a potential... Adrian? Yeah, yeah I, Liverpool, think, I, think I think it's been known. done for six weeks or so and it's been, let's not announce it because that then lowers Mignolet's price technically. If you've already got his replacement in formally, Club Bruges might come in with two million less because they know you've already got. Mm. Whereas if you kind of play a bit of a game, get the maximum for Mignolet, and then it's just like, okay, sign that. You've you've already agreed it. Let's because it happened literally within yeah twenty four hours, just, didn't yeah. it? It my, was done. My interpretation of it was that they will have signed out various goalkeepers in the summer on the basis that Mignolet could have left. I don't think anyone especially wanted Mignolet to leave. I think he would have been perfectly happy for him to stay. I think it was always his decision, and I think that remains the case probably with Dejan Lovren, to be honest. Um, so so basically, Mignolet goes to them once the offer from Bruges comes in and says, you know what, I've been having a think about this, and it feels like it makes sense for me. Then in the Champions League, I get to go back home. Thibaut Courtois has had an awful season at Real Madrid. There's a possible chance I could get back playing some genuine international minutes. So yeah, I'd like to go and do this. And therefore, Liverpool have done the background because they've been expecting or at least anticipating the possibility that that move can come up for Mignolet and they go, all right, this is the list of, say, three, four goalkeepers that we've got. Adrian's on the top of it. He hasn't got a club yet. We've already spoken to him a few weeks ago and said, maybe this is an opportunity. Let's go and check. And he was apparently on his way to sign for Real Valladolid in La Liga um, and basically got the phone call and that's why he was there so quickly because it was one contract or the other. Um, and I think that shows how well-planned... Um, various bits of the summer actually was because they've accounted for the fact there that Mignolet could go last minute and I I, actually, I think it's an alright move for them I think the reason that it comes up so late is the Club Bruges are in the Champions League again but they've got to go through the qualifiers right. so they've already played around and I think they've sort of got to go listen we'd really like to buy you but we can only really say that we've got the dough once we get to a certain stage of, say the playoff rounds I think they're in now we can only say then because if we get knocked out we'll be in the Europa League anyway so we can only when we've got definite solid European football say yeah we can pay 9 million euro for you so I think that's where it comes from and, and, and if the club knows that that's the deal on the table and that's the circumstances and they that's, can that's where the player wants to go exactly then they can then go sound if, if that happens and they're able to put the money on the table and you'd like to go that's perfectly fine and we'll get this fella but you obviously can't do that deal until the first one that's happens so you will have it in the background for a while just quick before we talk about the Super Cup uh, as it's come up uh, I've just googled and I've got a from, from Planet Football on the 10th of August uh, well and Planet Football uh, still out of, still still available if you wanted to do them Daniel Sturridge Fabio Contrao Martin Caceres Fernando Lorente uh, Lewis Holtby who thinks only 28 uh, Lazar Markovic hello again two mentions on this show didn't see that coming <laughs> Frank Ribery uh, Hatton Ben Arthur Wilfred Bonny uh, Claudio Marchisio uh, Johan Cabay uh, Ignacio Abate and Mario Balotelli are currently all still out of contract Right tell now. you what, in 2012, that would have been the best team in the world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, indeed, yeah, Kabai just knocking around there. It's fascinating. I'm absolutely it's stunned no one's got in for Kabai. Can we just form a team? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to go away and get some bank loans in Kofi yeah. and see where we are in a few weeks. sort this out in a week easy. <laughs> um, uh, they're all knocking around. If you want if you want to form a team or you want to you want to start lobbying oh, a club somewhere I'll, to literally, get them in. I, that's, I won't be able to get any work done now <laughs> for the next week. I'll just be thinking about how I could manage Mario Balotelli. Um, super up then it's a strange one in that the manager at this we saw last this phase last season and he doesn't make a lot of changes in the didn't make a lot of changes in the early part of the season he's not made a ton of changes from his uh, from his charity in fact he didn't make any from his charity shield side into the uh, the one at the weekend it was only the bench that changed are you expecting there to be many changes for the super cup and then into southampton you, what i'm asking here is you're expecting to see maybe Mane, maybe a center half comes in for gomez or alexander arnold maybe kaita maybe oxlade chamberlain maybe shakiri or are we expecting to see the Jurgen Klopp way of dealing with August, which is we grit our teeth, we play the football matches, everyone knows what to do, and we get the other side? Yeah, I, I'm a big believer in that he will grit, grit his teeth and get on with it. I also think, and I've been involved in in games like this at obviously a much lower level where you, you, you play a Charity Shield type game or a Super Cup game at you know, Evo stick level as a result of what you've done the year before. And the way we've done it, is you reward the lads who've won you it. So you almost go it. You've what you've got us here. So you know, if possible, you start with the eleven. I know that won't be possible because of Allison, but give the lads who've won the Champions League final the chance to go and win win the Super Cup. And as it happens, I think he'll do that. Whether that's his thought process, whether he's thinking I'll reward them eleven that either started or finished or a little combination of both. Obviously, Arigi and Milner will probably Arigi will start. I would imagine Milner may come in. 
whether that's his thinking as in he's going to do it to reward them or he just does it because he wants to pick a really strong eleven. but I don't see many changes from Norwich. I think Milner will probably come in and I think Matic will come in. I'm, I'm so excited for this. Um, I, I, I don't really know why and I don't know if this is the common perception but I've got it in my head that the Charity Shield is a friendly and this is a proper trophy. <laughs> um, and I'm not just saying that off the back the, of the fact that we lost the previous one. I was saying that going into the game as well and... and in essence, they're both friendlies. You only play one game and you might win a trophy. But for some reason, I don't know. In my head, I've always taken this one seriously. Like even when, even when Liverpool aren't in it, like if I'm not out, I'll sit down and I'll watch it because it's it's a good quality game. I think it's a European thing. Yeah, yeah. It just feels like well, if you're playing someone in theory, usually from a different country, and it's got mm. UEFA stamped all over it, it feels legit. Mm. It feels like it's an actual trophy, and it's on the board at Melwood, isn't it? When they count all the trophies, you should be over two your... legs. Which, Did by it? the way, really got my yeah. attention. You're up to about 97. It was over two legs. Now, I imagine having Chelsea. Ah, away. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, well, then it was uh, Stad Louis II. Just went to Monaco. Years, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and yeah. they just yeah. tore it around. It was in Estonia, I think, last year. I think, yeah, yeah. Um, it's been Prague as well before. I'm really looking forward to it, and I think he'll take it seriously as well. He obviously took the Charity Shield seriously anyway, although maybe his rhetoric around it wasn't... wasn't Making it sound like he was so enamoured with the idea of it, but I think I think he'll really want to win this one. And also Liverpool are favourites now, and they went for the Charity Shield, so that makes a big difference. I think he'll pretty much pick the same team. Um, I think the, the the most interesting thing about the start of the season so far, I think, is that it's the same team that finished the season, except Gomez is fit now and he's back in, and Mane hasn't been able to start yet because he hasn't been back, but he will do. Whether it's Wednesday or whether it's Saturday, Manny is going to start a game of footy again and it's going to be back to the exact same team, doing the exact same thing as last season because we were brilliant. And we're not that far away from an international break, only three weeks, I think. We're not playing two games a week aside from this one. So I don't think there's a, a temptation for him to say, oh, Mo, I'm giving you a rest or yeah. anything like that. I think he goes with pretty much what he thinks is his most fully fit and best eleven. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much with you 100% on, on that. Like, even with the... the- Charity Shield thing and this, we don't we don't class the Charity Shield as a trophy. It's not on the wall, but we do with the Super Cup. Mm. So we decide it's a trophy. It is a trophy, and therefore we want to win it. And I think I am with that as well, and as well with the Charity Shield. Like we sh- we shouldn't even been in that game. It's it, we didn't win the league. We didn't. Yeah, win we the didn't our place in it. Yeah, yeah we, really? we, we yeah. run us up in the league, and that's why we were there. Whereas we won the European Cup, and that's why we're at this one. So. I always think, yeah, and as the, in this game as well, as the European Cup winners, and you are the favourites, you should be going into winner because you're playing against a lesser team that won a lesser tournament than you. So I think he will want to win it, cause, especially because we didn't win the first one and we, and we probably deserve to on the grand scheme of things against City. It'd be nice for these for the boys again, going a bit like the Origi thing, a bit like going, well, we've won a trophy. Mm. And it's, this isn't just a one-off thing. That this is our next one on the list. It goes on the wall at Melwood. We can do all the videos again, and that keeps that momentum going. So yeah, I, it's funny even with the Klopp thing about resting players and that. Number of people I spoke to after the game yesterday, and they're saying it's mad, isn't it? How like you'd think he'd bring on Oxley Chamberlain for twenty minutes when you're you've already looking like you're going to win the game. You'd think he'd bring on Kaita to get some minutes in or Shakir to get some minutes in. But when you look back over his time, he ne- he's never really done that, has he? Like, the number of times you'd think, oh, Salah could have 15 minutes rest here, and you're just like, no, it's okay, it's fine. I think the, the one thing we haven't touched on, which I, I'm a bit surprised, and I'm, I'm, I can't actually believe I'm saying this out loud again. It was like the end of last year. I think Matip's been very hard done to to, mm. to have lost his place yeah. to Gomez, especially with the way things have started pre-season. And clearly, I was thinking about you a lot, Neil, because it's that thing of... The other team has to pick somewhere on the pitch to target. And clearly everyone has said, well, we might as well just ignore Van Dijk and Robertson. We'll just go the other way. So it's 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 easy to say, well, that side's your weak side. But it's like, well, it, it's just slightly weaker than the other side and everyone's targeting it. So they're going to be more exposed. But I just think Matip's been a bit hard done to. And I did wonder, I wouldn't, like maybe on Andy's point as well, will he put Matip back in for it just to give him the, this game? Do you know I think he'll do so at Wednesday? But over to Paul and she can say whether she agrees with me and other matters arise. And I think he'll do Gomez right back and Matip sent it off. Uh, Paula? Yeah, I, I, I was wondering about Milner, but I, I, th- I think you're right. I think, um, <clears throat> I, I wonder if it is Trent that sort of sits the start at least of this one out going in. I think it'll be taken extremely seriously. As you say, it's on the boards, but I think even more than that, the fact that it's a legit European trophy will be something that we will be desperate to put a mark on. And for the players to. as well, Paul. Absolutely. Um, and I think, 
I think, you know, as soon as Friday will have been out the way, preparations will have taken another sort of step forward in earnest. And I'm I'm really looking forward to what I think will be a win. Does Chelsea make it a different... Is everyone thinking differently if it was, say it was... Atletico Madrid, would everyone be thinking differently? And does how to, I'm taking your role here, Neil. Go on. Does today's result change what everyone thinks? Because they could come out and be amazing today. They, but if United put three past them and it's you know and they look crap, which I don't expect I th- them to. I think it being Chelsea makes it just feel a little bit more mundane and a bit more yeah, like a yeah. charity shield. I think it's yeah. a little bit of a shame. It's Chelsea. I would rather it was Sevilla or Atletico mm-hmm. Madrid. I'd rather it had a bit of romance. Because it just feels. I mean, Chelsea is not romantic. No. Uh, let's be let's be frank about this. Uh, it's most definitely not talking me out of me knickers. <laughs> so you know, let's be let's be crystal clear. Whereas you know, for instance, Ajax. Oh God, oh. <laughs> them off. I'd have been anybody's. Uh, <laughs> is, is my position. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. But the, I think the other side of that is, that I just think it's a win. Like we, we go, we just. Well, I think it's almost them. more of a marker. So it's a double-edged sword. After you win it, it's more of a marker. Yeah, and. Uh, Look, I'm I'm intrigued to see them. I'm intrigued to see what they're like this season, Chelsea, with Frank Lampard and, and just a load of lads. Basically, like, <laughs> what did we do? Just bring all the lads back, what, all the all the ones that have been out for ages. Yeah, bring them all. I can imagine lads coming in and them genuinely going, "Oh my god, I've forgotten you were ours." Yeah. Like you've been gone for that or long. Or you've had a contract here for four years and we've never met. Hello, <laughs> nice to meet you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We don't get together for the Christmas party. Uh, don't get asked. Uh, it's, it's also um, important to know two days more rest we've got than them. Yeah. yeah. Which can make a big difference in terms of what lineup maybe he thinks he has to pick because he's going in as very much the underdog with less rest, more pressure on him. Maybe for them, it's a bit more of but friendly. He's, but he's arguably more conscious of Istanbul to Southampton only two days break in between yeah he's mentioned that quite a few times so so I think for, for, for the manager it's the weekends after whereas for Chelsea it's it's this game going into that Chelsea, one that Chelsea, creates a problem Chelsea play Sunday Wednesday Sunday whereas mm-hmm. we're playing Friday Wednesday Saturday mm-hmm. uh, prediction uh, win lose or draw 2-0 to Liverpool ok I'll that then uh, Paul I was going to say 2-0 as well yeah uh, Paula I think I think they'll score but I think we'll win I'm going to say 2-1 uh, Andy I'll go 2-0 as well 2-0 as well excellent stuff what a show it's been hope you've enjoyed the Anfield wrap this week thank you very much indeed to Andy to Dan to Paul and to Paula Uh, Liverpool um, let's just remember one thing whether you were there at Anfield on Friday or not this could well be the best Liverpool team you've ever seen Sports Social Podcast Network